Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Why don't we give it up for Pastor Emma as she comes up to bring the word. Amazing. Yes, I was supposed to keep her asleep, so good luck, Brandon. I'm preoccupied. I won't be much help to you. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? You good? I'm very warm right now because I was just holding a sleeping child, so um, I'm just going to try to regulate my body temperature as we, uh, as we get into today. We were away for a couple of weeks, just one Sunday though, um, and we missed all of you. We were with uh, the locals plus in Coburg last week, Brandon was speaking there, and uh, it was great to be with them as well, but we certainly missed being with you. And then the times that we were not uh, there, we were camping in our trailer for a couple of weeks, and um, I found this meme, I posted it on my Instagram. I don't know if you have it. Did you get it? Yeah, this was us. This is actually a picture of Brandon before and after. Uh, he cleaned up last night before coming, but that was that's pretty much sums up our camping experience. Uh, if you've ever been camping, you know it, it gets a little gross by the end of it, but um, it was great. We didn't grow up camping, either one of us, so it, yesterday, we have to actually take two vehicles because we have so many children now, um, so Brandon and I were talking on the phone as we were driving home, and he's like, this is kind of crazy, like this is, anyways, we made it, we're home, um, and I'm excited to dive in this morning. We've been talking about a variety of uh, topics that are kind of off base. That's what this out-of-pocket title comes from. Uh, things that you might look at at first glance within Scripture, within the Bible, or you might have heard other people uh, bring to you as arguments or questions about Scripture um, that feel a little bit uncomfortable for us as people living in the 21st century. And last week, Jared did a great job uh, talking about, is the Bible anti-science? Uh, I was listening to that message this week, and um, I thought he did a great job. Brandon's looked at, you know, why do all of the heroes in the Bible suck? You might want to go back if you haven't heard these and listen into them. But I'm going to take us to a verse, um, a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, and then we're going to pray and get into today's message. It says this, women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And the question we're looking at today is, is the Bible anti-woman? Why don't we pray and we'll get into it. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to speak here today and to gather together um, as one with our church here. I just pray that you would be with me and speak through me today. In your name, amen. So we're going to be taking time today to explore this question. Is the Bible anti-woman? And how do we handle verses like the one we just read? 
You see, this is an important question to, to look at and ask ourselves. And maybe you can um, already deduce where we're going to land with it just by the fact that I'm actually up here speaking this morning. So the answer we are going to come to today is that no, the Bible is not anti-woman. God is not anti-woman. But it is important to look at these verses. If you're a Christian in the room Maybe you've come across verses like the one I just read throughout Scripture, and they actually make you feel really uncomfortable. Maybe you've just kind of sidestepped them, and you're like, I'm sure someone's looked into this, and so I'm sure it's okay, and we're not doing something wrong here. So I'm just going to kind of sideskirt that, and I don't really have a good answer for it if it comes up. But we need to wrestle with them. We need to have a good answer if we are going to faithfully walk out Scripture. For myself as a Jesus follower, my job is to submit to Jesus. My job is to submit to what he says, to what God says, to what God wants. It's not just about reading in what I feel and what I think into things. This is a challenging thing because I've had my position even here at Slate Church questioned by people. I've had um, people wonder if it's actually okay that I'm preaching and teaching in this kind of place. So I've really had to wrestle with what scripture looks at and talks about uh, with women as a whole. In general. So this matters for all of us, but I've, I've had to look at this myself and go, what does the Bible say about women? What is going on here when we come across verses like this? Because I have to operate out of integrity. So if I came to a place where I deduced that the Bible did ask for certain behaviors and certain things out of myself as a woman or just any of us in general, it's our job to actually be faithful to that, to submit to that, to come under that. So it's not just based on how I feel. I have to operate with integrity as a Jesus follower. We've talked about this um, over many different series when it comes to actually living a life that is submitted to Christ. But again, here I am. So I guess you can uh, figure out where I've landed on this as well in my searching. You know, the goal today is not to create some sort of argument. And it's not to give you pointers for a debate that you can get into with uh, someone who feels differently um, than you. The goal is to really just present facts, present what we see in scripture about women in order to be able to equip you for your own study, for your own conversations, for situations that you find yourself in, for your own relationship with God. So here we go. Is the Bible anti-woman? No, it isn't. Uh, Dan Kimball, a Christian author, talks about this idea, and I believe that Jared referred to it last week as well, of never reading a Bible verse. Never reading a single Bible verse just in and of itself and taking it and trying to make understanding just from those specific words. We have to look beyond one verse or two verses. We have to understand the context, the who, the what, the where, the when, the why. We need to look a little bit broader to what was being written because, again, as much as the Bible was written for us, it was not written to us. We have said this week after week, and I hope this is something that you can kind of grab onto here. And I've borrowed some of Dan Kimball's ideas here to help us better understand uh, when it comes to this question, is the Bible anti-woman? So in order to understand how God looks at women, and we're going to get to some of these other verses later on, but we have to go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And it says this in verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know, when we look at the creation story, when we look at Adam and Eve specifically, we don't see this hierarchy 
taking place. We don't see them created into a patriarchal society. We don't see uh, this power struggle and dynamic. What we see is unity, and we see equality, and we see this ability for them to walk out the mission that God put into this earth together as man and as woman. You see, in the perfection that was God's creation, in its sinless form, men and women are created equal. They're unique. They're different from one another, but they are equal in and of themselves. And the original design was for them to operate in God's plan and in God's mission. We see this in Genesis 1:29, the very next verse. So God created, um, sorry, bumping down here. Yeah, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. He created them in his image to be image bearers of God and to walk that out. Now, some of us might come across and go, well, it, it talks about Eve being a helper. So doesn't that mean submission? And doesn't that mean a hierarchy because she's a helper? Again, we have to understand the context. We need to look beyond this. This original word that was used for help here is often used throughout the, the Old Testament to describe God. And when we come across that God is our ever-present help in time of need, the same word is being used, and yet we don't look at that as some subordinate form of God or some uh, form of God that is lesser than us. It's just a different role. It's a different uh, piece of who they are. So in our 21st century understanding, when we come across things, even in the beginning, we can go, oh, well, you know, isn't that some form of subordination? But we have to look at the context. It doesn't mean that Eve or women at large are inferior in any way. So at the very beginning, men and women are equal but different, and then everything changes in Genesis chapter 3. And what do we see here? This is the fall of humankind. Adam and Eve take the fruit, and they eat it, and sin enters into the world, and it creates this huge mess. And we immediately see division, and we see blame, and we see a power struggle take place between these two that just moments ago were united. Now, all of a sudden, we see this happening. We see Adam blame Eve. It was this woman that you put here with me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then we see Eve blame the serpent. Well, this serpent told me to eat, and so then I ate it. And we see this division taking place right off the bat. And there are consequences to these actions. We know this. As soon as we go any further in scripture, we see a whole lot of consequences to sin. And God describes them right away. Through the consequence of sin, women will experience pain in childbirth. Work would be painful and toilsome. We all of a sudden see a patriarchal culture take place coming out of this. That it starts to unfold this hierarchy of men and women just as God described would happen. But in all of this, we have to understand if we're coming to scripture... At the beginning, that God's original perfect plan placed men and women in a place of uniqueness as male and female, but equal partners in fulfilling his mission here on earth. That's the very start. But from this point forward, because of sin, we have to look and see the glimpses of God reworking and working on a plan and working out a plan of redemption to get back to this place that he originally intended. In the Old Testament alone, God actually raises up women as prophets, teachers, and leaders. 
And this isn't like widespread across the board. Yes, we see a lot more men in leadership because we are looking at it as a patriarchal society. We are seeing a hierarchy take place. We are seeing uh, power dynamics and power struggles through sin take place. But we do see women, which is shocking. Like we have to actually recognize that we can't just read this through a 21st century lens. We don't have time to go through all of them, but you can look them up. There's Miriam, Deborah, Hulda, the woman that's described in Proverbs 31, Esther, Ruth, and others that are talked about in this story of redemption that is bringing Jesus Christ to earth to be able to fulfill what God needed him to fulfill in order to create unity again between God and humankind. We must remember that from the moment that sin entered this world, God has been working at a plan of redemption. So let's jump into the New Testament a little bit here. So in a moment, we're going to look at how Jesus treats women and what that means for us. But we also want to look at here um, how Peter addresses the church, how Paul addresses it. We're going to jump into this early church and what we see when it comes to women in this place. So in Acts chapter 2, we have this address that Peter makes to uh, the large crowd. Just as the early church was starting, the Holy Spirit had just come. He's preaching to this crowd. Many were added that day. And he quotes the prophet Joel from the Old Testament and says this in verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. There's this address in the early start of the church that both men and women are vital in this mission, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people. Then we see Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and, and these letters to different churches that they were just being established, and he honors women, like Phoebe, Priscilla, Junia, he, he honors women and talks about them kind of throughout this place. So we have to kind of get to this place of going, okay, in this society, it's uncommon and strange that these things would be talked about, that women would be talked about. When we look at it from our current lens, we can look and go, well, women aren't talked about enough, or it doesn't seem like there's equality, or it doesn't seem like there's women in leadership, or it doesn't seem like women are honored throughout scripture. But when we steep, our, steep ourselves in the patriarchal society that was there, where men were ruling, where men were leaders, it's amazing that as much content was given to women as what we see. Whenever we see this gifts of the spirit discussed, we don't see any uh, delegation between men and women. We don't see a difference made there between men and women. It was given out to all people is what we can deduce from scripture. So then how do we even begin to understand verses in 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy that seem to instruct women to be silent and to not teach men? These are the ones that are often, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in scripture that we can look at throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament that feels uncomfortable. But how do we begin to look at this? Because this is often what's most uh, quoted or pointed to or these sorts of things when we talk about the Bible being anti-woman or, or that there's certain specifics around women here. I want you to picture for a moment uh, the year being 2011-ish, 2011, 2012. Uh, if you could picture 19-year-old uh, version of me sitting in a classroom studying the Pauline epistles, 
just a fancy way to, to say Paul's letters um, to the church. And I'm sitting in a classroom, I'm studying this in my undergrad, and I am going toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe with my professor about these verses. I was very feisty, uh, if you can imagine a more feisty version of me. Um, I was very feisty about it, and I was, I was kind of arguing with him about these verses. Do you remember this? Brandon and I went to school together. Do you remember this class? We were, we were talking about, we were discussing what Paul might have meant by these verses, and my professor um, did ju just read a Bible verse and, and not look at the full context and had some firm beliefs about uh, the role of, of women in church and these sorts of things and, and overarching thoughts about women in leadership and, and all of these types of things. And this is what he was teaching, and we were discussing it and we were talking about it, and I was pushing back on this because I didn't see how the positioning that he had taken fit with the greater context of scripture. I didn't understand how the Bible could contradict itself in different places. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't understand how he could come to that conclusion when we look at the greater context. And even in that, for myself, I couldn't understand how a 19-year-old who was wrestling with her calling to lead and teach and felt called by God in this could get to this place where I couldn't do that, that that actually wasn't God's calling, but I wanted to know and I wanted to understand it. Um, in the midst of all of this, I, I did push back and say, well, maybe then in a few weeks from now, we should dismiss all the men from class while I give my presentation because I am teaching scripture and it would not be appropriate then based on your understanding for me to, uh, to do that. So, I mean, I, as I said, I was, I was a bit feisty in, in that. You see, now I feel like I do have a greater level of security in my understanding of scripture. I'm not, I, I don't feel the need to argue with anyone or to debate this or to get into a fight in social media or anything like that. I have a, I have a deep level of security when I look at the full context of what's going on in being able to wrestle with these scriptures and, and see them within uh, what Paul was talking about here. And that's really what I want to talk about in this portion of the message today. Because for many of us, we might shift uncomfortably when we come to these verses, or we might know of other churches even in our city that would uh, feel what's happening in this room today would be inappropriate based on their reading of scripture with these verses. So let's dive into this. Um, so both, both 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy were written by Paul um, as the church was first being established. So what, what we see here is that Paul is trying to establish how we are actually supposed to worship God, how we are supposed to conduct ourselves, how we share the good news of Jesus, how we meet together, what morality looks like, what ethics look like in this early Jesus movement. As Dan Kimball points out, there was no New Testament at the time. And the, these churches are really just trying to figure it out. The New Testament, as we know, it was put together much later through these writings that Paul had. They didn't have a guidebook of what do we do and how do we do it. Paul was giving that to them through his instruction. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a people that he actually knows quite well. He spent time with them. He um, knew the people that he was writing to, and he was giving some instructions based on some of the messed up things that were happening in Corinth at the time. People were going hungry. There was a pecking order in communion. There was uh, people getting drunk on communion wine, which is why we use grape juice here. It's, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, ongoing sin without repentance. There was lots of things happening as Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. In 1 Timothy, Paul was writing to Timothy, a young leader 
uh, in Ephesus at the time he was living. And, and Paul has a good relationship with Timothy, and he's encouraging him there. But a lot of problems were happening in Ephesus as well. There were diverse backgrounds that were coming to follow Jesus, and a lot of pagan worship practices that had been happening elsewhere were infiltrating what was going on in the early church. And there was kind of this um, disorganization that was happening, and Paul is writing in this sphere and to these people. So when we read these verses about women being silent, we have to read them within the context that Paul is actually writing them in. A few chapters earlier, we see that Paul acknowledges that women are praying out loud in the church, and he doesn't have anything negative to say about that. He doesn't actually push against that in any way. He just acknowledges it. He just says it as a fact. We see Paul talking about women praying, singing, and sharing in the church throughout, throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about spiritual gifts with no distinction over who they um, go for, that some are for men and some are for women. That's not the case. We just see these spiritual gifts given out to all people. He worked alongside women who had leadership in churches, and he honors them in it. So what is going on here? The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Paul's not contradicting himself, even though at first glance it might seem that way. Likely what's happening is that the women in these churches who had not yet had proper teaching around this understanding of Jesus, around this early theology that was taking place here. They didn't have proper teaching, and they were being interrupted. They were interrupting what was happening. They were not being, uh, uh, they were not listening. They were not learning. They were not being uh, uh, calm in this. It would be like here, all of a sudden, me being constantly interrupted by someone and me saying, can you stop? Like, can you just sit down for a moment? Brandon's had this at a couple of places where people have, like, stood up and said crazy things to him while he's been preaching. I don't, it happened once at Slate Church. Someone answered a phone call, like, really loudly in the middle of it. Like, just being interruptive uh, for what is happening. And it's inappropriate. I think we would all look at it and go, it would be inappropriate for someone to start yelling back at me uh, different things or asking questions out loud right in this moment unless it was kind of a space for that. And so what scholars believe is being addressed here is that these women first needed to learn before they could come into a position where they could actually speak about what they were learning. They were bringing in these pagan practices. They were bringing in uh, this interrupted behavior, and it wasn't helpful for anyone in the church, and they just needed to chill out a little bit. And that's what's happening. That's what we see. That's the context. They needed to learn before they could teach. They needed to talk about the demeanor and how things were handled within the church gatherings in order to have order, in order to be able to further this message of Jesus. Paul isn't contradicting himself, but our best guess is that he's being specific here to these groups of women who are being interruptive in the church setting. So how about Jesus? Where does he come into this question, is the Bible anti-woman? And this is where it really becomes undeniable to me that the Bible is not anti-woman because our Savior is not anti-woman. Jesus comes on uh, the scene in a, in a world where there is inequality, where women are not treated with respect, they are not treated with dignity, their voices are not uh, something that are, are heard and re revered. They are really treated as second-class citizens, as really nothing. This movement towards equality in our current world is actually affected, has been affected by how Jesus and his followers decided to treat women. 
I would go as far as to say the reason why we are here today as we are is because Jesus set this in motion in this plan of redemption that we see throughout scripture. See, Jew Jewish culture was patriarchal and, and women were subordinate to men. Roman and Greek culture were not any different to this at the time. So what Jesus does is highly countercultural. It is absolutely shocking, his behavior. We read this, and it feels normal, and it feels like, of course, this is how it would be. But if we can place ourselves for even just a moment in the culture that Jesus found him in, himself in, this behavior was crazy. And we actually see it through his disciples' reactions. So here's some examples. We have Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus was uh, a rabbi, and and. Jewish rabbis were not, wouldn't even really speak to Samaritans. They were, they were kind of against the Jews. They, were, they would have gone the long way around so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. And then this Samaritan was not just a Samaritan, but also a woman. And Jesus sees her at the well, approaches her, talks to her, discusses things with her about her life personally, drinks from the water there. And she is the first person that he actually describes himself as Christ to. The first person he talks about himself being the Christ is a woman, a Samaritan woman. And this is why when the disciples find him there, they are shocked and surprised. They're like, what the heck is going on? Not only is Jesus talking to a Samaritan, but he is talking to a woman. And I don't know what to say here, and I don't know what to do here, so I'm just going to kind of turn a blind eye to this. But Jesus chooses her to first share his identity with. We see women supporting Jesus. Jesus traveled with women, which was also highly uncommon at the time. But not only that, Luke records that women were supporting Jesus financially. These were businesswomen. They were, these were savvy women during this time, and they took their finances and their means and actually supported Jesus to be able to further the mission that he was on here on earth. We see the, the woman who anoints Jesus' feet with oil and how she gets it. She comes in and she takes this jar of oil that is so expensive and anoints Jesus with it before his death. And the disciples sit back and are so critical of it. What is she doing? We could take that. We could sell that. We could give it to the poor, right? This self-righteousness coming out. And Jesus goes, no, she understands more than you guys do. Like she actually gets it here. We see Mary and Martha um, when, when Jesus goes to their house and Mary sits at Jesus' feet. And Martha is doing all of the roles that would be traditionally female roles at the time. She is cleaning, she is cooking, she is getting things together, and she's like, what the heck? Mary is just sitting there. But instead of Jesus turning and saying, Mary, you got to get out there, you got to help in the kitchen, like, where's my food? I'm hungry. He says, Martha, no, Mary's got it right. She's sitting at my feet. She is learning from me. Come and join her. And then we see women at the tomb finding that Jesus' body is not there. And they are the ones that go back and report this to the disciples. The first account that Jesus has raised from the dead comes from women. And this is a great piece to, to let us even know and have confidence in the message of Jesus. Because honestly, if they were trying to pull one over on us, they never ever would have used a woman's account that wasn't even counted in court at the time. There was no uh, a legal ability for women to give their testimony in court and have it be, have it be counted as legal. There is no way they would have told, uh, told the story through women giving this account that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet that is who comes and finds that Jesus is not there. That is who is recorded in scripture 
that, that lets us know that he is not there, he has risen, which our whole foundation of faith is based on. God gave women the most significant voice of all time in the most significant event of human history, the resurrection of Jesus. You see, when we go beyond reading a single Bible verse and we look at scripture holistically, we can't possibly come to the place that, that the Bible is anti-woman. We just can't. What we see is an ancient text that transcends time and space, written for us but not to us in a patriarchal society that breaks borders and boundaries and actually is a road maps for us the equality of men and women that we continue to look for today. It's a pretty profound thing when we start to look at it, when we start to see what God has done. We follow God who created us so uniquely but also equal, one who valued unity and is outworking this full plan of redemption even now. We follow Jesus who uplifted and respected women at a time where this was far from the norm. And we see the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were poured out for all people. And so in looking at this question, answering this question, is the Bible anti-woman? As I said, my goal here this morning has not been to just convince you. It's just to lay out the facts. It's to lay out what we see in scripture. And I'm sure someone could come up here and give me really big arguments as to why the Bible is anti-woman and to point to these things. The goal here is to look at this faithfully. The goal is to look at the context of scripture as a whole and be able to get to a place where we can understand what God is saying to us, how he created us, what role we have in this plan, what part we take place in, and whether you're a woman or a man in this place today, it includes all of us. Jesus came for every single one of us. The context we see it written in sometimes can be hard to navigate and to figure it all out in, and that's okay. That's why we do series like this to help equip you and to help you understand what's going on. But what you need to know today is that Jesus came for you. Man, woman, the Holy Spirit came to anoint all of us. And it's our responsibility to lean into that, to accept that, to, to not hold back because of our gender, of who we are, our identity, how we feel about ourselves, what we think about ourselves, but to actually lean in and trust that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for all of us, that salvation is for all of us that we are all included in God's plan of redemption, that God created us equal, that God created us man and woman. Why don't we stand up in this place? I'm just going to pray as we go out of here. I think we're going to sing again. It's a teaching heavy message here. Join the lecture on the Pauline epistles this morning. Different version 2.0. With every head bowed and eyes closed, we just love to give an opportunity here at Slate Church that if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, we see in scripture that if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and profess it with our mouths, we will be saved. That's really the avenue. It's nothing so crazy and so wild that we have to do. In fact, Jesus came and, and brought grace with him that no matter what we've done or, or what we've said or how we've behaved, that there's actually space for us to follow him, that he forgives us, that he redeems us, that we get to walk freely with him. And so every week we love to give this opportunity, again, just so you have the space to think about it and consider it. 
And so if you, that's you this morning, I very simply want to pray with you. It's, I'm not going to point you out or anything, anything like that. But if you could just let me know who I'm praying for. If you just want to raise a hand, if that's you this morning. Right now, I'm just going to pray. Jesus, I thank you that we get to make decisions to follow you. I thank you that you came, Lord, and you died for us, and you rose again so that we could walk out this salvation. To know that we are loved by you, to know that we are freed by you, to know that your grace covers us. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I'm just going to pray as we go back into worship about our understanding of scripture and how we deal with this and how we navigate this. Maybe this conversation is one that really bothers you. Maybe this is something that has caused you to question if you can actually be part of Slate Church because of my, my particular role in the church. Maybe this is something that you've had arguments about with your family or friends or people who are at other churches or uh, different pastors or different things. I just want you to know that there's a level of like security here. That we are, we are looking at scripture. We're not just doing what we feel. And we are saying, what is here? What has Jesus said? What has happened? What has God done throughout history? And so I'm just going to pray this morning. Not a, not a call to action, but just a, a desire to be faithful to scripture. And then we're going to go back into worship. Jesus, I thank you that we have the whole of scripture. I thank you, Lord, that you created us. And that we get to walk securely in your plan and your mission. And God, I pray for every single one of us here, Lord, that we would do this faithfully. That we would recognize that our gender doesn't count us out, that our history and our background doesn't count us out. But Lord, you have counted us in from the very start. And so God, I pray that us in this room, that we would be a part of this redemption process, that we would be a part, uh, that we would be people who you would use to bring back that original plan, God, that sinless plan that we see, Lord. We just surrender this to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.